This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who has kiboshed before and will kibosh again. Here is the captain. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very happy to be featuring Hop Slam 2021 by one of my favorite breweries, Bell's Brewery. Hop Slam is an imperial IPA featuring six different kinds of hops, all from the Pacific Northwest. ABV, 10%. Garage grade, four and a half bottle caps out of five. And let's give some cheers to our good garage friends. First up, a cheers to Meredith in Springfield, Virginia. And a big shout out to William in Greensboro, North Carolina. How about a We Like Your Jib? We'll send this out to Dirk in Hanover, Indiana. And a big cheers to Holly in Rockport, Indiana. Next up, we have a double cheers to longtime Swedish listeners, Johanna and Linnea. And last but certainly not least, we have a cheers for Wadi in the Bears Den. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and they helped us fill up this week's beer fridge. And for that, we thank you. Hey, what up, Wadi? Yeah, thanks for filling up the fridge and making this BWEWRUN beer run happen. For everything True Crime Garage, check out our website, truecrimegarage.com, for all of our old episodes. Download the Stitcher app, they're free. And check out our bonus show called Off the Record. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
The following is from the Edgar Award nominee for Best Fact Crime Book, Dark Dreams, by legendary FBI profiler Roy Hazelwood. The most resourceful, destructive, and elusive of all deviant offenders is the ritualistic sexual sadist. Just like the great white shark is the renowned predator of the oceans. The sexual sadist is the most dangerous and cunning of aberrant criminals. He also presents the greatest challenge to law enforcement. The sexual sadist is a meticulous planner, spending an inordinate amount of time inside his own head. He may devote months, or maybe even years, imagining his intended crime, turning it over in his mind, playing with it, as one might examine a prism in a sunbeam, studying all the different ways it reacts to the light. He hates surprises and any kind of spontaneity. If possible, he will rehearse every step of his crime repeatedly and do everything imaginable to reduce his chances of failure. The sexual sadist is also stunningly brutal. The fantasies he wishes to enact with a victim are horrendous. His sexual pleasure is derived from her suffering. Hazelwood goes on to include the writings of convicted kidnapper, rapist, counterfeiter, and suspected serial killer James Mitchell DeBartleben Jr., better known as Mike DeBartleben, or by his law enforcement given moniker, the Mall Passer. He wrote what Hazelwood refers to as the sexual sadist credo, where DeBartleben defines the word sadism for us, or at least what it means to him, which can only be described as extremely insightful as Mike was a sexual sadist. He writes, Sadism, the wish to inflict pain on others, is not the essence of sadism. The central impulse is to have complete mastery over any other person, to make him slash her the helpless object of our will, to become the absolute ruler over her, to become her God, to do with her as one pleases are means to this end. The most radical aim is to make her suffer, since there is no greater power over another person than that of inflicting pain on her, to force her to undergo suffering without her being able to defend herself. The pleasure in the complete domination over another person is the very essence of the sadistic drive. The Crime Classification Manual, written by the FBI, adds, There are often multiple crime scenes involved with this type of sexual homicide. The place of the initial encounter, the torture-slash-death scene, and or the body disposal site. This is True Crime Garage. Tina Marie Harmon was born in Creston, Ohio on June 9, 1969 to parents James and Irene Harmon. Creston is a village here in Ohio, too small to have city status. Today, the village of Creston has a little more than 2,100 people. Our story will kick off in 1981 
And at that time, roughly the same population, just a bit smaller at a little less than 1,900 people. Creston is just 2.26 square miles, but the village is in two counties, Medina and Wayne counties, located in the northeastern portion of the state of Ohio. By 1981, Tina's parents were separated, and she was living with her father, James, at a nice little house on Onion Street. In 1981, Tina Marie Harmon was 12 years of age. She was a sixth grader at Sterling Elementary. She did well in school. She loved cats and country music. People say that she was a good singer, so much so that several people thought that she could make a career of it. Her Aunt Ruth Hatfield would later say that Tina was a very tough little girl. She had some brothers and had no trouble standing up to them. In fact, I think her aunt said she would fight with her brothers all of the time. Tina was a round-faced kid with dark eyes and long brown hair. In most ways, she was a typical sixth-grade girl. She was ready to hit her teenager years and was already a little rebellious preteen. On October 29, 1981, this was a Thursday, Tina went to school and rode the bus home afterwards. Tina got a ride from her father's girlfriend. Now, some sources say to the local Lawson's. Lawson's is a now defunct convenience store chain. Other sources say to, and I think this is more accurate, it says that she went to the Lorraine Market. And I think you'll see why the Lawson's is probably not right just yet in our timeline. So her father's girlfriend dropped Tina off in front of the store. She was meeting up with a group of her friends. They all went inside the store. Tina bought a fudge sickle. Her friends last saw her sitting in front of the convenience store eating her snack. Do we know how many friends were with her? This would have been three girls. Apparently, she told the three girls that she would catch up with them at some point later in the evening. However, all three says that never happened. The friends walked on and Tina did not leave with them. The sources have Tina seen walking along Main Street in downtown Creston at 6.30 p.m. Now, many sources do not mention this next item on our timeline, but it seems to me that it would fit pretty accurately, so I would like to include it here. James Renner, who has wrote about this case, and we should mention Phil Trexler, who wrote extensively on some portions of this as well, but Renner writes that Tina was able to catch yet another ride, and this time it was from her older brother. It is said that he drove her to another convenience store, or a Lawson's. So that's why I think that the Lawson's got mixed up with the Lorraine market. Right. After that, somehow she made it near the village of Seville. Now, we don't have an exact location for this, so if we were to do just a very basic from the center of Main Street Creston to this spot in Seville, it's roughly just under five miles or seven to nine minutes driving time. Seville is listed as a village as well, and in 1981 would have had a population right around under 2,000 people. And we say that she made it to this location because according to the Akron Beacon Journal, which is probably one of the very best sources for this case, several credible witnesses remembered seeing Tina at the Union 76 truck stop and the truck stop of America 
at Interstate 76 and Interstate 71 near Seville that evening. And that would also make a lot of sense because from what I have been reading back in 1981, the only real entertainment for the teens of Creston was at the Union 76 truck stop a few miles away, which had snacks and arcade games. Tina was known to frequent the place, and just like myself, Captain, she was a fan of the pinball games found there at the Union 76 truck stop. All right, so we have Tina. She's 12 years old. She goes to the store. From that store, we know she was at the store because she was with some friends. From that store, her brother takes her to another store. We don't know how she got from that store to the truck stop, which was a local teen hangout, Mm -hmm. which was about five miles away from the center of town. Correct. And we say the center of town because, again, we don't know where the last location is to be exact as far as a street address because it's a a business that's no longer in existence. But we have eyewitnesses that place Tina at the truck stop. According to the Akron Beacon Journal, they say several witnesses – And they specifically say several credible witnesses say that they saw the young girl, 12 years old, at both of these truck stops. Yeah, I'm guessing those credible witnesses will be employees and not children. And when we say truck stops, you have to keep in mind, too, that these are also, you know, they're gas stations. You could pull in there and fill up your vehicle, your car. It's not just limited to truck drivers and semi-trucks. Right. And a lot of these, for, for those that may live in bigger cities or are unfamiliar with these type of truck stops, they're really like a gas station on steroids. They're much bigger. You can walk in. It has. They always have an attached convenience store. They have acne on their body. Because these people that are traveling great distances, they need to pick up food, use the restroom. Right. Um, some of them have an arcade room, may have a sit-down restaurant inside. This one, the Union 76, the reason why it was kind of a teenager hangout back then, it was a few miles north of Creston. There's not a whole lot to do in the small town of Creston. The funny thing is Seville, where they're going to go hang out, is even smaller. Right. It just happens to be that it's right off of both interstates. So it's going to get a lot of business. Business. The Union 76 had a little arcade room attached to it. And it was said that she would often go up there and play pinball games and arcade games. Just so we don't run into any confusion here, Captain. Wait, was it Noah's Arcade? I, I doubt that it even had a... As Finkter says what? The Union 76 truck stop, as some may remember, is a company out of El Segundo, California. The 76 signs are the orange ball with the blue number 76 inside. Right, very popular on like American pickers. So I'm giving that detail, Captain, because this large gas station slash truck stop is reported to be in the area right around where Interstate 71 and Interstate 76 overlap. So the truck stop is not called Union 76 because of the 76 interstate. The truck stop Union 76 is one of it's just one of many across this great country do you know where the trucks fill up with gas is that connected to where also the cars fill up with gas i don't know and i get what you're you're getting at sometimes they're you know one might be in front and one might be off to the side of the store is that what you mean yeah because normally now you know this is back in 1981 but now normally truck stops of this size 
to the left will be all the gas pumps for semis. To the right will be all gas pumps for just regular cars, vans, or trucks. I'm guessing that would be the setup because it's very difficult for those those trucks can't maneuver the same way that vehicles can. Right. Now, Tina did not come home that night, and the three friends that were with her for a portion of that evening all say the same thing, that they did not see her again that night after they left her at the Lorraine Market sitting in front of the store. Right, so they never caught up with her. Right. So this is a Thursday. This is October 29th, just two days before Halloween, and it it's I find it incredibly fascinating how many cases we have heard of when a child goes missing right before Halloween. Right. Jacob Wetterling, Amy Mahalovic, and this case of Tina Harmon. And unfortunately, there are, there are many more of them. Well, maybe it's because of Jason Voorhees or Mike Myers. I think in the Midwest in particular, the reason why we have that uh, common occurrence or, or this reoccurring thing of late October child abductions may simply have to do with the weather. You know, people are out. They're still out. It's not yet gotten really cold in the area. So Tina's family and friends, they, of course, are looking for her. Law enforcement is aware that the girl is missing. And at her school, the principal, this is Wilbur Bowers, was talking to Tina's friends and classmates trying to see if any of them can shed any light on the situation. Unfortunately, they could not. There was a lot of thinking at the time that Tina was out running around and she would turn up sooner rather than later. But the night that she left, that she was last seen as a Thursday. So maybe you can talk yourself into the idea for a night or two, especially over the weekend. Right. But then Sunday night hits and then Monday and she still has not come home by then And And as a parent or a family member, yeah, she's 12. You have to be out of your mind about the situation by that point. Yeah. I mean, look, maybe this is behavior of a a 16-year-old or 17-year-old that's still living at home. Especially this would be more likely to happen in 1981. But a 12-year-old, I'm I'm saying the first night she she doesn't come home is is a bad sign. Well, on Tuesday, November 3rd, at about 9 a.m., Tina's body was discovered by a man named Herb Seifert. This is five days later, five days after she was last seen. The girl's body was found on an oil well access road off of Goodrich Road in Stark County's Bethlehem Township. Now, there is no really good direct route from these two truck stops, which are basically right next to each other, to this area where she was found. But to give an idea of distance, depending on the route, we are looking at 41 to 53 miles and a drive time of over 44 to 55 minutes. Right. Even though her body was discovered in Stark County, Wayne County caught the case when Tina went missing, and they kept the case even after she was found based on the belief that she was killed there in their county before being dumped in Bethlehem Township. The body was taken to Maslin Community Hospital. Tina's parents went there, and after the body was identified, Tina's mother, Irene, collapsed and was admitted for treatment for shock. 
We have some autopsy information as well and some further leads. This is going to go along with physical evidence to help us with our chase here, Captain. Yes. So Stark County Coroner James Pritchard was in charge of the autopsy. From my understanding of the body discovery site, she was found in plain sight. So anyone traveling this road would have found her. Now, this is a pretty remote area, and this is an access road with no name. So this is a road less traveled situation. Tina was fully clothed, either redressed after she was killed or forced to dress before. She was raped and strangled. The coroner's office stated that she was killed by, quote, choking by hands, and there were marks on the neck which appeared to be made by rope. On her clothes, detectives discovered important clues. This was dog hairs and orange carpet fibers. These carpet fibers have also been described as nutmeg in color. Interestingly enough, detectives found some items of interest in her pockets. The first item was a Union 76 truck stop matchbook. Right. Okay, so this goes well with the witnesses that say they saw her there that Thursday night. Yeah, more evidence to back up the witnesses. They also found $3.25 in her, it says in her clothing. Right. Her father, James, said Tina left home with $5 on her person that evening. Police said to the papers that that information could offer some possible leads or theories as well. I didn't really follow that. It seemed a little confusing to me. It, they seemed to think that because she still had money on her person, that that suggested that she was staying with somebody or somebody was providing for her while she was gone. That doesn't make any sense because she could have been taken Thursday night. The rape could have happened Thursday night and her body was left Thursday night and you're just discovering it now. Well, I think this is where, this is why I think they're jumping to conclusions because of this next part. And this next part is one of the most important pieces of evidence in this case. The tricky part of this homicide investigation is, well, let's say the first very tricky item in this case. The coroner was certain and was able to provide a window of time for which Tina was killed. So she died by asphyxiation by strangling. The test indicating that she had been dead for 24 to 36 hours when the body was discovered. Okay, so last seen Thursday night, right? body found at about 9 a.m. the following Tuesday, and the autopsy is telling us she was killed between 9 p.m. Sunday night and 9 a.m. Monday morning. That's a lot of time. So now, Captain, we have roughly 72 hours between the time last seen and the time the coroner says she was killed, maybe as much as 84 hours. That's a lot of time missing from Tina's timeline here. Roughly four days, right? Well, yeah, it'd be th- it would be three to three and a half days, roughly. Now, Creston Police Chief, they were looking to speak with a man and a young woman. This is because he says they had individuals stating that they had may have seen Tina in the presence of one or both of these people. Right. The brief description was given of both, but because those description varied 
at times and even contradicted each other at times, we will simply go with what similarities were listed. A Caucasian male, early 20s to mid 30s, and a Caucasian female, young, late teens, possibly in her 20s. The way that this information was presented to the public, I get the impression that the witnesses believe Tina to have been hanging out with either one or both of these people. Right. There is no one saying they witnessed an abduction or that Tina looked to be threatened or the victim of a kidnapping by either of these people. Right. But that doesn't mean that these people weren't in the arcade or at the truck stop and had some ruse to get a young girl into a vehicle. Well, and we got to keep in mind too, these could be, these are what detectives would consider to be loose leads. These are leads that you're 100% going to follow up on because it could take you further down in your timeline. We've already pointed out what we need to do now is figure out why there's a gap in this timeline. Why do we have 72 to, to 84 hours missing between the time she was last seen and the time that it's believed that she was killed? And if you already said so, I apologize, but how was she planning to get home from the gas? How was Tina planning on getting home from the truck stop Thursday night? That's a good question. My speculation here, Captain, is that that her parents may not have known she she was going to go to the gas station or this truck stop. Tina may not have known she was going to go to this truck stop when she left the house that night. It sounds to me like the plan was to meet up with friends. She's going to hang out and tag along with friends as kids do and end up back at home some point that night, either by, you know, walking home or catching a ride with somebody. Yeah, maybe she was expecting her friends to be there and then she'd just catch a ride with one of their parents or or brothers, sisters or whoever. But if this information is right and if these witnesses are correct, then She's getting further and further away from home. The night is getting later. And as you pointed out, we don't know how she intended to get back to her house that night. Do we have any signs of her wanting to run away? No, but as said, we we have some speculation from the get that states that they thought that was a possibility that not maybe that she was running away so much to say, but that she would stay out for the night or stay out for a couple of nights that she was out hanging out with people or running around with friends. The thing we need to keep in mind though, regarding these witnesses saying that we think we saw Tina hanging out with a a man, a young Caucasian man uh, in his twenties or thirties or, and, or a young Caucasian woman, either late teens or in her twenties. You have to factor in the fact that we don't even know that it was in fact, Tina that they saw, with either of these people, right? What these witnesses are saying or claiming is that someone matching the description of Tina or someone we think might be Tina. These are not people saying that they knew this girl. These are people saying somebody matching this girl's description, the missing girl's description. I believe I saw them with this man or with this woman or both. And the Creston police chief stated that neither of these people are suspects at this time. These are simply just people that we would like to talk to.
Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. 
With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Captain. Cheers to the people in the back. Later that same week, a similar lead was discussed with the media. To be clear here, we should state something that is not the most common thing in a homicide investigation. But in this case, once Tina's remains are discovered, and of course, this was very quickly ruled a homicide, we now at this point in our timeline, have at least three agencies working the case. We have Wayne and Stark counties, plus, of course, the Creston Police Department. Now, they are saying we are trying to locate a male truck driver and a woman in connection with the murder of 12-year-old Tina Harmon. This is quite a step up from their earlier request. That we would, we have this young man and this young woman that might have been seen with Tina. These are not suspects. These are people that we would just like to talk to. Now they're saying we're looking, we're actively looking for a male truck driver and a woman that are in connection with the murder of 12 year old Tina Harmon. Doesn't mean they're the murderers, but this is information and people that law enforcement, three different agencies desperately want to talk to at this point. And at this time, they're going to be able to offer up a little more detail stating Tina was reportedly seen with a man at the truck stop at interstate 71 and interstate 76 in Medina County. This would be on the Thursday that she first went missing, but several hours after the 6 30 PM last sighting by her friends and or family, mm-hmm. the statement from detectives goes on to say that Tina was also seen in the presence of a woman that same night and possibly, possibly again on Monday night. Yes. The Monday night before her body was found that Tuesday morning. Right. And that puts it in the timeline or the time frame that police have for her death, for her to possibly still be alive Monday night. 
Friday, Saturday, Sunday, no eyewitnesses seeing Tina. Right. Well, I think this is the part to me that just doesn't add up because they're saying possibly had seen in the presence of this woman on Monday night, Monday night before her body's found Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., the coroner is saying that she was killed 24 to 36 hours before her body was found. So Tina's not, unfortunately, not alive and well Monday night to be hanging out or be seen with anybody. So now you have to start to wonder, that takes away from the credibility of the sighting. Not that the person is lying or making anything up that the witness that says they saw this. Right. It's just that they may think that they saw Tina with some woman. We know that that cannot be at least for that Monday night. The Thursday possibilities are still out there. Well, I mean, it's possible obviously if the autopsy is completely wrong, but we have no evidence of this person not knowing what the hell they're doing. Right. So, I agree with you there, but I also think it it makes you question the credibility of the sightings after her friend saw her. You know, is it is it like you said before, is it just somebody seeing a girl that fits Tina's description or are they actually seeing Tina? Correct. I think these are likely people that want to help, that are trying to help. They just they they didn't see what they thought they saw. Right, but in tons of missing person cases, you get eyewitnesses that claim they they see individuals all over the country. To be more clear, the missing person. Right. We think we saw the missing person on the other side of the country, and unfortunately, that missing individual turns up to have been killed and remained in the area the entire time. Again, it's just people who want to help. Now, this is interesting. The detectives got some help from students over at Kent State University, art students using descriptions from waitresses and other people from the Union 76 truck stop put together sketches of both the man and the woman that police say they were looking to talk with. Right. By this time, there is a small reward for information in the case. This was put together from several sources, but one in particular, some of the money came from Tina's father, James Harmon's place of employment. So very nice. Not only do they understand or try to help him through what he's going through, but they're also trying to help find justice for this little girl. Then three months later, and this is with no notice to the media whatsoever, No notice to the media about detectives closing in on a suspect. They were able to finally make an arrest. In fact, they made two arrests. One man was arrested here in Ohio, and a second man was arrested in West Virginia. Mountain Mama. This is 19-year-old Ernest Holbrook Jr. He was the one arrested here in Ohio. He was charged in court with the rape and murder of Tina Marie Harmon on February 12, 1982. The public learned of this arrest the following day. Meanwhile, on the same day as Holbrook's arrest, 26-year-old Herman Ray Rucker was arrested in West Virginia almost simultaneously. After Rucker was extradited back to Ohio, he too was charged in Tina's rape and murder. He was charged on February 16th, 1982. 
Okay, so this arrest comes about because of a tip. And this is when people, detectives were talking with some people that led police to two suspects. Now, some of this information is a little vague, so I apologize, but we can only report the information that's out there. Well, I mean, we could make up stuff if we wanted you to. You want to fill in the blanks, Captain? That, that's our other show, right. Fictitious Crime Garage. Apparently, there was a broadcast on local Northeast Ohio television, uh-huh. and during a segment regarding runaways and missing teens, Tina's picture was shown during this segment, and some brief information was given about her and about the case. So after seeing this on TV, two female witnesses came forward stating that they had seen the girl, the murdered girl. This was from something they said they witnessed around the time that the teen went missing before her body was found. The two said that they saw Tina Marie Harmon jump from a vehicle or a parked car and two men grabbed her and returned her to the vehicle. It was the description of the vehicle, according to the Beacon Journal, that says led investigators to the suspects. So let's break this down quickly before we move on here. Right. These two witnesses, again, they're just trying to help. But it's not until three months later that they see, and this is if we're going off of what the newspapers say, roughly three months later, they see this segment on TV, Tina's picture is shown, and now they're going, thought bubble, oh, the girl that we saw back when she was missing, that was Tina Marie, who jumped from a vehicle, right? and these two guys grabbed her up and put, put her back in the vehicle. I find this... One, I think they're trying to help. I think these are probably good people. Uh-huh. Do you feel as weird about this tip as I do? Yeah, it's very strange. Uh, but sometimes you see something you pass off as maybe being innocent, and then later you see something and go, oh, maybe that's would make sense of what we saw that night. Yeah, I I follow that, and I'm with you there. The thing that I think is a little bizarre is... Tina's picture when her body was found three months before was all over the place. Right. It was all, I I just, it seems weird that they would have connected these dots this much time later rather than at the time when her body was found. Yeah, I agree. And the case is still, for lack of better words, hot and fresh. Yeah, I'm sure you could have found some better words. Well, what we end up with is the following. There was no real physical evidence linking either of these men to the murder. And both men passed a polygraph test, according to the law enforcement agencies working the case. But the detectives decided, we're going to push on anyway. This is because they had two witnesses that both implicated both Holbrook and Rucker. Detectives were convinced that Holbrook and Rucker were the perpetrators because Holbrook's cousin, Curtis Maynard, and his acquaintance, Susan Sigler, Dirk Diggler, claimed that Herman Ray Rucker confessed to killing, confessed the killing to the two of them. Okay, so let's break this down. Police are not saying we have two witnesses, you know, the two female witnesses that say they saw Tina run from a vehicle. Two guys grab her up, put her back in the vehicle. 
Right. We, we know that. Those two witnesses are not saying that Rucker and Holbrook did this. They're simply saying, we saw a girl jump out of a car. Two guys grab her, put her back in the car. This is what the guys look like. This is what their vehicle looked like. That's as far as those witnesses can provide to detectives. And I think why we have detectives push on here, even though they had no physical evidence and these guys passed the poly is because we now have two witnesses that come forward and name these guys by name. Preach on. This is, we should be clear here though, too, captain detectives are receiving this information before they make the arrest, right? They speak with this Susan Sigler before they make the arrest. She names these guys. I'm guessing that possibly the tip, because the Akron Beacon Journal reported that it was the description of the vehicle that led detectives to the suspects. Right, but we have law enforcement also looking for a female suspect, right? At first, it's just a female, a male that might have talked to Tina. Later, it's two, a male and a female that we think are connected to her murder. That starts making me question, is this individual just passing the buck off onto somebody else that she knows. Right. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. It's, it's a bizarre lead to start with, but then what we have here is Susan Sigler claim that Herman Ray Rucker confessed the killing to both her and this Curtis Maynard. Yeah. I almost feel like it's, uh, there's some possibility of all four of them being connected. So we have eyewitnesses that place, Tina or a girl that looks like Tina at the truck stop with a male and female individuals. Those are the ones that ruse her into the car because it's easier to ruse her because we have a female present. They take her to a location and now there's four individuals, three, three men and one woman. Eventually they, they move the girl. Maybe that's when she jumps out. That's when the, these eyewitnesses see, see her with two men they grab her, take her back in the, the truck, and then eventually dispose of the body. Right. And what we're going to learn about as we continue on here, Captain, is we will get some better detailed information regarding these claims by Susan Sigler and Curtis Maynard once we get to trial. Right. So the trial was set to start May 28th, 1982 in Wooster, Ohio. Wooster. Holbrook and Rucker are facing similar charges and were to be tried jointly. Now, you know, Captain, I'm not a big fan of the joint trial. I actually don't even understand why they do it, but they're facing similar charges. It saves money on prosecution. All related to the same crimes. So let's move forward. They're to be tried jointly. This was until Holbrook's attorney was forced to have emergency surgery. So they decide Rucker's trial would continue and Holbrook's would be rescheduled for a later date. What, what, what was the surgery? Um, I, I don't I don't know. Hopefully they were chopping off his testicles. Why? Why would we hope for that? I'm just saying one can hope. One can have dreams. Don't crush my dreams. So you you would like for Holbrook's attorney to have his testicles removed. (laughs) Shit, I I thought you meant Holbrook, not his attorney. Right. And let's keep in mind, both these guys are innocent until proven guilty as well. Well, I'm sorry. So Rucker's trial will continue and Holbrook's will have to be scheduled for later. Again, it's his attorney who's having emergency surgery. 
Rucker pled not guilty to all of the charges. The charges were two counts of aggravated murder with death penalty specifications and one count each of kidnapping and rape. In the opening statements, the prosecutor told the jury of nine men and three women that the state has evidence showing that Tina was 12 years old, who was just 12 years old, she was kidnapped and raped, that witnesses saw Rucker subdue Tina when she tried to flee from them while in the vehicle. He said that the prosecution has a witness who will testify that Rucker and Holbrook visited a friend to get money because they were in trouble. They, quote, were in trouble. The prosecutor told the jury that Herman Rucker was the primary offender, and we will show that Rucker did this purposely. This was a prior calculated act. Do we know how much money they got from this friend? No. That's... That is something that I question if that was reported. I couldn't find the actual court documents. Right. So most of what I have to go off of is from the reporters that are reporting what they're witnessing in court back to the the media and in the papers. Right. This is Prosecutor Altier continued on saying, quote, that is the evidence that we will present. You will hear a tragedy. You have Rucker in the courtroom. You have seen Mr. Holbrook in the courtroom. The person you will not see is Tina Marie Harmon. She is dead. All right. Well, Captain, that is one side of the story. The side is that... They'd throw me off the jury because he would have said that. I would have said, no, duh. And then they would have thrown me off the jury. The other side is that neither Rucker or Holbrook had anything to do with the abduction or murder of Tina Harmon. As said, both men passed a polygraph examination and both had an alibi for their whereabouts for the window of time when the murder is believed to have been committed. Rucker was 26 at the time of this trial. One of the key witnesses for the state against Rucker was 24-year-old Susan Sigler. Sigler and Rucker had some kind of relationship three years before this trial. Sigler lived in West Salem in Wayne County, Ohio, at the time of the trial, and at the time when she said that Rucker confessed to her that he beat a little girl and left her alongside of the road because she refused to have sex with him. She testified that this confession took place on the evening of October 30th, This is one day after Tina was last seen at 6.30 p.m. on the 29th. Right. Sigler said not only did he say he beat a little girl and left her on the side of the road, she claimed that he showed her a picture of the girl and also showed her a heart-shaped pendant with necklace that he had taken from the victim. What will look really bad for Rucker and Holbrook is a second witness, this right. is Curtis Maynard, backed up Susan Sigler's testimony. But this is a guy that's dating her. They are listed as acquaintances. Okay. So he's going to back up Susan's testimony, adding not only did all of what Susan say take place, right? but Rucker and Holbrook asked him for some money because they were in trouble and needed to get out of town. He goes on to say that the two guys took him to see Tina's body and they told him if he told anyone they were going to kill him. Well, that seems pretty damning. 
right? Yes. They took this guy to see the body. So not not only did they show a picture and tell a story to the female, they took the male to see the body. And then, of course, we have the two witnesses that say they saw a vehicle with two men and a young girl, and the girl appeared to be struggling for freedom. Yeah. Both of the witnesses picked Rucker and Holbrook out of a police photo lineup. Four separate witnesses, four very damning testimonies, all implicating these two men for this murder. No physical evidence. No physical evidence was presented at either trial. In fact, later, the prosecution went on record stating that they had zero physical evidence against either individual. Not only it's not like we forgot right. to present it, we yeah. we didn't have it to present. Yeah. It, it, so they, they never found the rope that she no. would have been strangled with. No. And and as far as the autopsy goes, we believe that she was only sexually assaulted once. That's that's difficult to determine. Again, that would be considered physical evidence against yeah. these guys. None of that. They didn't present that at either trial. So so if they do have that type of evidence, which I don't believe that they did, that would tell me that it goes against their case, against their theory. You don't present evidence at the trial that that uh, makes it look like somebody right, other right. than you're trying to prosecute did this. So what we have here, Captain, is two separate trials. One, a jury trial, and Hallbrook's trial was in front of a three-judge panel. Both men were tried separately. Both men were found to be guilty for the crimes they were charged. Rucker was the primary offender, according to the state of Ohio, and Holbrook aided and abetted Rucker in the brutal murder of a child. Now, neither man received the death penalty. Both were to be sentenced to life in prison. Right. And usually there's some underlining details in the sentencing when one, especially when someone gets life in prison, I couldn't find out the details for Holbrook because keep in mind, he's being charged with a lesser crime, but Rucker got life in prison with the possibility of parole after 20 years. So Holbrook either received the same sentence or a lesser sentence. I mean, these guys look like goat turds, right? But on top of that, the crime is so heinous. That's why I think you get convictions like this. There's no physical evidence. Really, you should have to go, okay, well, we think these are the guys and we have some eyewitnesses that maybe place them at the scene. I think that most damning piece of evidence is when you have eyewitness saying that these two men took me to see the dead body. Correct. I think that's the most damning piece of evidence. You throw everything else out the window with that, you still get a conviction on top of that, because they look like goat turds and because it's such a heinous crime, that's how you get the conviction. Well, and I'm guessing that you're saying looks like goat turds based off of the the witnesses coming forward with these stories presented against them. Well, no, I'm saying that their appearance looks a little goat turdish, and I just think they look a little disheveled. And if you see their pictures in the courtroom or their mug shots, they... They kind of look like goat turds. Well, I, I get what you're saying. It's just, I mean, they, they just look like two guys from small town America to me. And the witnesses, to be honest with you, they look like people from the same neighborhoods as so these they look two like guys. Goat turds as well. <laughs> well, that, that's the yeah, captain's You said words. it. You that's said the it. Captain's words. In 1982, in two separate trials, we have 
Herman Rucker and Ernest Holbrook, both young men, found guilty of homicide, abduction, and rape of a little girl, both sentenced to life in prison. So much more to get to. Join us here again in the garage tomorrow. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't let it. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.